This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Matt Epstein was three years removed from his days at UCF when he decided he'd finally had enough of the job hunting process. Endlessly sending out resumes without much of a response had worn him down, and he had to take a hard look at why, as a marketer, he couldn't make himself stand out. So he changed his strategy, and instead of doing what everyone wanted him to do, he pivoted and took a risk. If whatever you're doing, you're not feeling a little uncomfortable, then that means you're not taking risk. The worst thing you could do as a marketer is not take risk. If you're not zigging while everyone else is zagging, well, then guess what? You're not going to stand out. The worst thing you could do as a marketer is not stand out. The risk Matt was about to take meant that he'd use his entire life savings on one specific campaign. To market himself to tech giants such as Google by using a clever website, googlepleasehire.me, which was complete with a video resume designed to make him stand out. Believe it or not, Matt didn't actually get that job at Google, but the risk still paid off. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Matt explains how. Plus, he details how those early marketing strategies he used helped him lay the groundwork for his future campaigns. And he talks about how marketers should be taking risks these days. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest, Matt. How are you? As good as you can be in a global pandemic. Indeed. Indeed. But we're excited to have you on the show to chat marketing and your marketing journey. One that is, is pretty unique. Um, how'd you get started in marketing? So I got started in marketing and advertising and did that for about five years. And then this was in Atlanta, Georgia, worked at you know, a mid-sized agency and then woke up one day and you know, realized the future was going to be in tech and quit my job planning to move to San Francisco and be a marketer in tech. And as it turns out, no one really in you know Silicon Valley wants to hire an advertiser in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, with little to no uh, marketing experience at a tech company. And so, you know, happy to tell you that story. But eventually, did make it out there. You know, I, I worked at an agency, an ad agency, for a while. Um, quit my job, tried to get a job in San Francisco at a tech company doing marketing, and just could not get even a callback for the better part of six months. Um, and so, you know, was very depressed. And then one day uh, woke up and said, I'm a marketer, I should be able to get a recruiter's attention. And so I ended up spending my life savings to get a job. And I ended up coming up with this idea called Google, please hire me. And <laughs> the the result was a few things. Um, one, I created a YouTube video. This was, you know, geez, almost 10 years ago now, um, back when YouTube was really first getting going. And the video was me with a mustache, uh, a Beatles haircut, and no pants. I just literally wasn't wearing pants in the video. And I was asking Google for a job. Um, and it was tied to a whole campaign. So where, you know, if you're wondering how I spent my life savings, it wasn't on a video uh, without pants. It was uh, on a few things. So one, 
I ended up, uh, you know, hiring a, a plane to fly around Google's campus with my URL that pointed to the website. Um, I printed out, you know, six, four, six foot cardboard cutouts of myself wearing my suit without pants and holding the URL to the website. And I shipped it to every single HR department address I could find. I'm sure the HR people were probably pretty confused as to, you know, why they received cardboard cutouts of a, of a candidate. And I ended up actually doing a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. But in the end, you know, that whole crazy idea got me interviews with Google, Amazon, pretty much every big tech company you could think of, Salesforce. And in fact, when I eventually did make it out to San Francisco, uh, I was standing in line and uh, I was standing in line at this place called Yamo, a little noodle bar. And the guy in front of me goes, you know, hey, aren't, aren't you that Google guy? And that's, that, that's, that was oddly enough... Uh, my, the prouder moment for me was not getting interviews with all these big tech companies was, but just some random guy in the street knew me for, you know, a YouTube video. And so that, that's when I felt like from a marketing perspective, you know, I at least have some talent, not much, but at least enough uh, to make someone notice me. And so you ended up, uh, you ended up getting a job at Google. Uh, so I interviewed with Google. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't get the job. And ironically, not getting the job led me to Zenefits, which, you know, ended up becoming quite a big business, you know, multi-billion dollar valuation helped make my career. And, you know, not, I actually not getting the job at Google at the time, again, it left me in almost the same spot where I was, I was very depressed, feeling very down, but then got right back up on the horse and actually ended up in a much, much better situation. Yeah, no, I know it's funny. I mean, I, I knew you, I knew you didn't get the job there, and I I think it is such a great story because uh, because you didn't, right? It's like it's kind of like one of the things where we we think that we know the path, but the path is actually going to be something you know totally different. And uh, and totally, you you could have, yeah. I, the funny thing is, I mean, there I'm sure there were jobs at Google that maybe grew a ton. I don't know, maybe if you did you know, been in GCP back then, but uh, there probably wasn't a marketing job on earth that could have been compared to the role that you had at Zenefits uh, and the way that it grew after that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a- absolutely. And my, my, my whole takeaway was, you know, nothing in life is given to you. And all you can do is you can control the decisions that you make and the things that you do. And my decision, you know, when I couldn't get the job was to take control of the situation because um, I believed in myself and put myself out there. And then with Zenefits, it was, it was the same thing. I, you know, Zenefits was I, I, I joined Parker, the founder, in his kitchen working for no money. And he paid me in Papalote burritos. But Papalote is great. I didn't know that. That's, I love Papalote. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, same thing. I thought, I, I believed in Parker and I believed in his idea and, and he believed in me, even though, you know, I actually remember Parker telling me, you know, asked me to join. And I was like, look, I've never even bought a billboard before. You know, how am I going to, how am I going to help build a, a marketing function? And he's like, look, I, you know, you're smart and creative, you'll figure it out. And ironically, you know, that same year I ended up buying a bunch of billboard and even here at Rippling, you know, we've, we've done a ton of outdoor advertising. So, yeah. So flash forward to today, tell me about Rippling. Um, so Rippling is really the first way for a business to manage and automate everything that touches the employee. 
So not just their HR, things like payroll and benefits, um, but all of their IT, all of the devices they use, all of uh, the apps they use like Slack, um, even the facilities access in and out of the door. And actually, the, uh, I'm not saying this because Salesforce is a sponsor, but it's just the truth. Um, the only sort of analogy to Rippling um, or one of the few analogies is Salesforce. And what Salesforce is, is a single uh, you know, underlying system of record for customer data on which on top of, you know, they have built systems to allow you to manage and automate everything that touches the customer. So marketing, you know, Pardot, uh, support, um, their, their, their support product, and uh, uh, all of the sales, of course, their CRM. No one has built the equivalent of that for, uh, you know, employee management, the employee system of record. And so that's what essentially Rippling is. You know, you can onboard an employee, take care of their payroll, their benefits, all the apps they use, the devices in really 90 seconds. Yeah, it's you know it's something we talk about a lot on the show, and I I talk about a lot on on the other podcasts that I do. This growing um, bifurcation between customer experience and employee experience, right? And it's like if the modern CEO is kind of like relentlessly focused on both of those. Now they might not realize that they might not be focused on it, but they will be. Uh, and if they're not, then they're they're probably not going to be around very long. And obviously, the past year. I think encapsulated that more than ever, right? It's like we have all these we have all these crazy things happening in the world, and you need to see how how happy your customers are and figure out new ways to serve them, and you need to figure out how uh, how happy your employees are and figure out ways to serve them. And I think you're you know obviously you know you <laughs> Rippling has has already gotten you know tons of press for this and has been named, you know, a, a Forbes next billion dollar startup and and all sorts of things because I think the idea that the system of record for employees is is clearly um clearly the future, right? To have that single source of truth. Uh and and you know, obviously why we're excited to have you on the show and to talk about marketing at, at Rippling. Yeah. And on the Forbes note, we actually eventually, I think three months after the article actually did become a billion dollar startup. Now, now that I'm hearing myself say that, I just I sound like I'm high fiving myself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. <laughs> no, no, I gave you the high five. It's it's all good. Uh, it's cool. I mean, we should we should celebrate success. That's as part of this. And uh, and as a brand and as a marketer, you know that is part of your story. Of course, like it should be exciting. Your customers should be excited about that. New prospects should be excited about that. It it matters. Um, you know, just because we have kind of this, you know, I think. The whole unicorn thing has been both, you know, stigmatized and not, you know, at the end of the day, like being a growing company is, is, uh, is fun and exciting and, uh, and marketing for a growing company is super exciting. So how do you think about marketing at Rippling? Uh, marketing at Rippling, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm probably going to have anything super insightful here. Um, but marketing at the end of the day is it's really about three things. It's about your brand. Brand is just you know a collection of interactions that you have with a company, and uh, I like to think about it as The Simpsons. Um, you know, if you just saw the outline of Homer, you didn't see it literally just saw a black shadow of Homer or Lisa, you would instantly know that it was Homer, and you would you know you would you would already have a sense, an idea of what that shadow was, kind of an oaf, you know, that kind of thing. Brand is very similar. It's all the interactions you have, you know, with the support team, with the product, going to the website, literally everything. And in the end, you're just left with a feeling of that outline. So 
Apple, just to use, you know, a very simple example, all the interactions I have with Apple, when I think, when I think Apple, I think premium, simple, and just like, just works. And that's not because a marketing guy said it. It's because that, yes, they help tout it, but that is their actual company. That is, that is what they strive to do. That is what, you know, everyone on the executive team um, across the board uh, is working on. Usually, you know, the things that the brand reflects. The second thing is, is demand gen um, or getting people into your shop. And marketing here at Rippling generates, you know, probably 95 plus percent of, of the revenue in, in terms of the opportunities. And then the last thing really, I think, is you can't, un, you know, really should never be understated, but it's, it's really the customer champion. I think even more than product, more than anyone, it's the customer who should have really their ear to the ground when it comes to the customer. I sit on, you know, I actually read every support call. I read or I, I actually sit, I, I go through our support queue. I, uh, uh, I read all of, you know, churn notes. Why are people leaving the system? And I actually take action based on that stuff. And so that to me is really the three things that any marketing team are responsible for. And, and that's what we focus on. So to dig in a little bit uh, onto that, obviously, you know, you, you spent a lot of formative years at, at Zenefits. Did you have a playbook that you built over there uh, over time? And then, um, you know, by the time you, you became CMO Rippling that you said, okay, I, have, I know the plays that I'm going to run. I kind of know how I'm going to do this. Or did you kind of come, come at it from a new perspective? Uh, yeah, so definitely carried over a playbook. And in fact, at Zenefits, you know, I was literally the first employee, like I said, working with Parker in his kitchen. At Rippling, I wasn't the first, but I was definitely one of the first uh, few handful. Uh, I was only second on the marketing team. First was a marketing ops person. And I use a very similar playbook. So step one is just trying to figure out what is the messaging that works? What is the message that cuts through the noise, through the clutter? Because it doesn't matter what you do, Facebook ads, Instagram, whatever, if you don't have the winning message, nothing is ever going to work, whether it's sales or email or anything. And so what I did at Zenefits, what I did at Rippling is really spent the first, I'd call it 60 days, 90 days, really just testing all different types of messaging through really two things, three things, um, display ads, because display ads are really just essentially digital billboards. So if you could only explain what you do in four to five words, what has the highest click-through rate? The second thing is at, uh, PPC, SEM. So, you know, if, if people are, you know, looking at you next to a bunch of competitors, again, what's that headline that outperforms? And the third thing is email. So if you had a bit more space to explain what you do, what's the thing, you know, that gets people to respond? And so across all three of those things, you're looking for, you know, some certain conversion rate. And what you'll find almost every time is there's just a message that outperforms, you know, 3x better than the others. And it's at that point that, you know, okay, I have found the message that works. And then I move on to everything else, you know, from a, a demand gen perspective. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is figure out how to generate top of funnel. Because um, as a startup, you're being judged across two axes. You're being, you're being judged on essentially um, time and you know, how steep your chart is going up and to the right. So if you become a $100 million company over 10 years, that's great. 
but you're not going to get any sort of outsized valuation or anything like that. And if, of course, if, if you, know, you don't generate enough, uh, uh, then that's a problem too. So I usually then go into stack ranking, okay, because as a startup, you have limited resources. If I, could, you know, if I could focus on three things, what would I focus on? I stack rank them by sort of impact. What is the thing that I think is going to have the most outsized impact on revenue? The second is uh, speed. How fast do I think I'm going to be able to do it? And then the, the last one is money. And what you don't want to do is you don't you want to start that process without thinking about actual resource constraints because oftentimes you know Y Combinator or you know a, a, a big uh, startup incubator in in, uh, in San Francisco they always teach you to to you know do things that don't scale in the beginning and so I, I do the same thing from a demand gen perspective if I have this idea just to give you an example if I say okay I think sending prospects cupcakes with our URL on the cupcake is going to be super effective. That is really expensive and it's going to, uh, you know, probably not take too long, but I think it's going to have a huge impact. It's going to be super expensive. No way long-term that works. I would do it anyway, because I think the impact's big. I can get it done fairly fast. And then if it works, I can figure out how to automate it, make it more efficient, stuff like that. And so that's, uh, that's usually the second part. And then, you know, the third, in terms of the playbook, obviously just super dependent on business. But those first two steps, finding the message and then figuring out how to make that chart go up and to the right as fast as humanly possible in a reliably scalable way is really the first two steps of any, any marketer. Or at least, I'm, you know, I come from a tech B2B background. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to, to kind of state on the speed thing. There's an um, acronym uh, called T2D3, which stands for triple, triple, double, 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 which is like kind of this thing that um, this guy created uh, as kind of like a backward looking metric at like if SaaS companies, you know, can triple, triple revenue, then triple it the next year and then double it and then double it and double it. Like chances are you've built a, um, you know, kind of that hockey stick growth that you're talking about. So it's kind of the currency when you're, when you're in, uh, a startup in a B2B, you know, tech startup, and you're trying to essentially, you know, get to a point where you have like some sort of exit in a seven-year time frame for your investors, you want to have like this sort of big growth. So that's why, you know, you're, you're talking about so much with speed. Other people might not have the same speed directive. Uh, obviously, they they probably have some sort of speed directive, but they might not have a the, the exact same kind of like pressure uh, to grow quickly, you might have like a little bit more of um, of a cautious approach, perhaps where it's like you're not really risk taking. But I think that it it speaks to the fact that you have to test and iterate and take risks in order to you know find the right answers. And I think that that's one of the problems that marketers have is like they're they're not really bold enough to run the tests, and so then therefore they just kind of it's kind of like bad input, bad output. If you're not running enough, you know, tests on the messaging and you're not trying enough things um, yeah. to see if it works, then you're just not really going to get good, good results because it's not comprehensive enough. Yeah. The biggest problem I see, one of the biggest problems I see other teams make is, is they don't fail fast enough. And the thing I always tell my team is if you're happy with what you're putting out, you probably spent too long on it. 
Now that's not to say, of course, you know, once you get something off the ground and it's properly resourced and you have a, you know, a lot more time that it shouldn't be amazing. But when you're going from zero to one, if you are proud of what you have put out the door, you almost certainly move too slow. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times the thing that ends up working is either always the thing I hated or the thing I never expected. It's, it's, it's really the exception where the thing that ends up working is the thing that everyone was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is it. And the only way to get to that, 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 that unexpected thing is just to, just to relentlessly fail. <laughs> so how do you get feedback? Feedback in what sense? On messaging, on, uh, on, you know, tactics on, you know, if you send cupcakes with your URL on it, like oh, it. how would you get feedback in, in, in those ways in order to determine whether or not it's effective? And also, I mean, I guess, how would you measure, measure a channel's yeah, effectiveness? That's actually a, a good question. So my first hire at Zenefits, actually, I think because of Zenefits, the first hire here was a marketing ops person. I'm the second, I was the second hire. But the first hire, you should, well, I should say the second, you should hire someone like me first, not because uh, I'm great, because I'm not. It's really me in the sense of you want a sort of a Swiss army knife who can be a, a jack of all trades, master of none. The second marketing hire you really want to make is a marketing ops person. And again, I'm, I'm talking from B2B tech SaaS. I can't speak to other kind of uh, marketing teams and industries. Um, but the reason you want that second person to be a marketing, op an operations person is for exactly what you're saying. If you are doing things and don't have a really good sense of what's working and what's not working, then you're going to have no idea where to focus. And really operational excellence requires a lot of time, setting up the systems, getting all the attribution, doing all the reporting. And that's why I literally would not take a job if my second hire was not or could not be a marketing ops person. Because in the beginning and over the long run, of course, it's about A, understanding, you know, okay, if I send a thousand emails, of those a thousand, how many responded? How many demos did I get from that? How many became customers? And then, you know, let's take the cupcake idea. The cupcake idea is something where, hey, hey, I've got some good news and bad news. Good news is the cupcakes were uh, worked. The bad news is, you know, Mr. or Miss marketing ops person, I need you to figure out how to send those cupcakes a lot more cheaply. Yeah, this is kind of the uh, make it up in volume thing is doesn't really apply to marketing, right? It might it might might apply to uh, to products or, or to hardware or software, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> doesn't really account for. Uh, uh, marketing necessarily. Although maybe you could get some really good deals on, on if you're buying, you know, 10,000 cupcakes, I guess, I guess you could I mean, maybe get it. We have done discount. over the course of my career, you would not believe some of the crazy things we've done. I mean, I don't want to get into the examples right now, but some of the crazy things we've done to, you know, eventually scale stuff. I mean, let me just to give you an idea of like the level of creativity, like if that worked, we would consider opening up our own bakery, like that, that kind of you know, that kind of sort of ingenuity. Like that's the level of which you need to think if, if something works and you want to scale it. That's why I'm saying, I think a lot of marketing teams, they get so caught up in, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough money, all this stuff. It's like, if you have an idea, just do it. And if it works, I promise you, even if you don't have the money, if you have something that works and works really well, go to an investor. They will give you money if you can show them it works and you have a plan to scale it.
Yeah. So what are, what are some of your favorite campaigns that you've run, uh, over, over the years? And it could be, it could be rippling related or, or not. Uh, I think the most recent one that, you know, I, I look back on, I think was kind of cool, uh, was an outdoor campaign we just did um, that promoted a lot of uh, our features. So it was a multi-message campaign. And one of the messages, just one of, I'd say five, um, was about a company that we compete with called Gusto. And what we were seeing at the time was a lot of businesses coming to us uh, that were growing saying, you know, look, we really like Gusto. It's a great system, but it's for really small companies and we're outgrowing them. We need, you know, these so-and-so features and so we wanted to establish that in the market that, hey, if you are outgrowing Gusto, we're the next choice. And so we ran one of the billboards said, because uh, the, the campaign, the, the tagline was work magic, you know, is onboard new hires in 90 seconds, you know, rippling work magic. One of the ads was outgrowing Gusto, question mark, presto, change And, you know, I thought, that was that in and of itself, I, I thought was pretty creative. But then what happened was we got a cease and desist uh, saying to take the ad down and there was no reason to take the ad down. So we, <laughs> we then, you know, replied actually in iambic pantameter and in, in basically in poetry. And in fact, actually, if you want, do you want me to read the first part of it? Yeah, go for it. So we ended up uh, replying, uh, you know, legally in iambic pantameter. And, you know, just to give, just to kind of explain what I mean, dear Gusto, our billboard struck a nerve, it seems. And so you phoned your legal teams who started shouting cease, desist, and other threats too long to list. Your brand is known for being chill. So this just seems like overkill. But since you think we've been unfair, we really like to clear the air. And so we go into, you know, the explanation of why, yes, you can outgrow Gusto. And, you know, in fact, we have customers who have outgrown Gusto. And I, I got to imagine whoever on their legal team read that was probably a little confused, but we ended up actually through that letter, ended up getting a bunch of press. Um, and in fact, now if you Google rippling first gusto, that's literally the first thing you see in search results. And so I think that was probably the most recent thing I enjoyed. Not, not because, you know, it's fun teasing a competitor or anything, but just because the creativity behind it, 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 it was playful. It was innocent. And it, it established the positioning, which is, you know, look, Gusto is a, is a solution for small businesses. Rippling is a solution for both small and large businesses as you grow. You know, it's a really funny kind of like case study in getting cease and desist. We've actually talked about cease and desist a few times on the show of like, you know, you're on the right track if you get one, because it means you had a good idea. You know, people don't send cease and desist for boring <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, that being said, it sucks to get them. And especially, you know, when your, your team, you know, does a bunch of work on it. So the, so the question that I have for that is like, to me, it seems like if your target profile is like medium size in this case, and they're small business, isn't that just a pretty straightforward, like competitive campaign? I don't really see, I don't really see the cease and desist part of it. Well, that, that I mean... I, sorry, just because I'm the CMO, I just have to be clear. We support, you know, small, the same size segment as them, two, you know, two to uh, uh, whatever. But we also, you know, can support, you know, a thousand plus employees. Um, but that's that's absolutely right. So first off, when you're doing stuff like this, if whatever you're doing, you're you're not feeling a little uncomfortable, then that means you're not taking risk. 
And the greatest, you know, the worst thing you could do as a marketer is not take risk. You know, in other words, if you're not zigging while everyone else is zagging, well, then guess what? You're not going to stand out. And like the worst thing you could do as a marketer is not stand out. Now that said, the thing, the risk that you're taking, you need to have conviction in it. You need to believe you're right. And then secondly, you know, you can't be mean spirited or anything like that. Uh, This campaign, it was just, it was just literally a question. Are you outgrowing Gusto? Presto change you. There was nothing malicious, nothing like that. It was just something we were seeing in the market and something we wanted to let people know about in position. And, you know, we had conviction that, yes, this is happening. We can show you it's happening. And so I think that's that's like the important thing here just to note is I think the risk-taking element. Um, but that's exactly right. There, there was no real issue with it. It's just, like you said, good competitive advertising leads to cease and desist, usually because it's effective. And you're right, <laughs> you know, and in this case, you know, that was happening. And I think you don't want that message out in the market that, hey, you know, this solution can scale better than the other solution. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's another school of thought there, which is like never mention your competitors. You know, I, I think that, you know, generally speaking from, you know, you you hear certain people say that, hey, if you're the, if you're, you know, leader in the market X, this is kind of like a classic, you know, not to mention you know, we love Salesforce. Uh, I was, I was literally show, but, just about to say, yeah. I would love to know that thinking, given that's literally how Salesforce became Salesforce was going after Siebel. Oh yeah. I mean, we've had them all on the show. I mean, we've had Scott Holden, uh, Lauren Vaccarello, you know, Craig Swenzer, all of them who all created those competitive campaigns. Yeah. Here's like the quick, just because I think this is like the one second soundbite. You need to punch up, not down. So if you're going to go after a competitor, you can't be the big guy because then you're just a bully picking on the small guy. The only time you can do competitive advertising is when you're the underdog. You know, if Apple today was going to punch down against Microsoft, it would look like, you know, your parents are fighting. <laughs> Apple was able to do it because they were the underdog. They were the small guy. You know, we, we are, you know, we're growing really fast, but still Gusto is a 10 year old company at this point. We were the underdog. If Salesforce was going to turn around and, you know, punch down against pipe drive, it would just look desperate. Yeah, totally. And, and it's just, I think that's a, it's a great point on this. And I, I think um, ultimately the broader, I think marketing takeaway from this is actually the pain point specifically in a company when they outgrow a system that doesn't support all of their needs. And I think the broader play that you've talked about, about an employee system of record for HR benefits and IT is a much broader play that you all are going for than something else. And I think that like, there's, you know, obviously a reason why you all have a a huge valuation and lots of investors and, and lots of momentum because that, you know, marketing to that future is much bigger. It's a much bigger market. It's a lot more people in that. And I'm curious, like, how do you think about that as CMO, as someone who now these sales get way more complex? Uh, now the number of stakeholders get way more complex. Do you kind of have like a land and expand approach? Like, how do you think about this from a marketing perspective as you get these, uh, you know, these these kind of new new companies uh, to use the product? Yeah, you know, the question is. How do you, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of companies use the word platform, but I, I think there's actually only very few platforms in the world. Salesforce is like a good example of like a, a platform. 
where there's just a bunch of spokes on it and they are literally the system of record for the data. In that world, it's really, really hard because you're talking about multiple stakeholders who all have wildly different pain points, who those pain points vary equally as wildly, depending on how big the company is and the industry that that company's in. So if you're putting this on a matrix, it sometimes almost feels infinite uh, in sort of, uh, you know, the, the messaging. And this is like really where it's important to invest in product marketing, to really deeply empathetically understand the buyer, what their pain points are, how they change, and then invest in over time, uh, you know, really speaking to them at a very personal level, you know, at an industry level, a company size level, a persona level. And that's something you should do much later on. Because if you try doing that when you're a five-person startup, you, you'll never make any progress because it's just too hard. Uh, but it is a really hard challenge. And what I think is like the, uh, my personal sort of point of view is the holy grail of marketing. I think something we want to accomplish here operationally is doing hyper-personalized you know, account-based marketing at scale. How can I, off a sort of a, you know, a signal, how can I send something to a five-person CEO at a tech company and instantly, automatically, in parallel, send something highly personalized to an IT person at a thousand-person company, you know, without some SDR, you know, manually sort of typing away, uh, who doesn't like deeply, deeply, deeply understand all these personas at once. That to me is the holy grail. And that, that is like the company that will win. Yeah, I could not agree more. I, I mean, I think that there's so many people that are trying to figure out that exact problem. I mean, and um, it's something that we've brought up on this show a ton about this intersection between IT. I mean, we talk about IT all the time on the show, but with, about IT being this like point guard or, or midfielder or whatever you want to call it. Uh, for technology in a company. And therefore, you know, every single company has all sorts of technologies that they use from the line of business owners. And so IT is now involved in all of those conversations um, or, or whatever your, it could be the CTO's function or it could be, you know, whatever, whatever IT means in, in that organization, yeah. that they're automatically a stakeholder no matter what. Even if, even if the CIO has a very laissez-faire, you know, swipe your credit card and buy your own stuff, sort of uh, governance approach, they're still involved in some way, even if they're not signing, you know, the purchase order request. But as a marketer, you know, the, the tough thing it seems to me right now is that the IT person, depending on the system, is not the champion. They are not, you know, going to be the one carrying the weight. They're not going to walk you across uh, to, the, to the person who's going to buy it. It's usually the line of business owner that makes the business case. So how do you how do you think about that in relation to what you're saying earlier as the holy grail? I think it's the same thing but further down the funnel. So what you're basically talking about is land and expand, which is true, right? You know, it's it's the odds of you well, I don't want to speak for Salesforce, you know, they've been around for a year or two now, so they probably have better data than me on this. But my guess is it's a lot harder to sell Salesforce CRM starting with, you know, help software through the support leader than it is to sell the sales leader on Salesforce and then upsell the support leader on support software would be my guess. And rippling is the same, right? Um, it's probably a lot 
easier for us to sell this, this CEO and this and the CFO and COO on the payroll and HR software, and then the IT person. And so I think that that idea of automated cross-sell for land and expand uh, is the future in the same way that top of funnel at scale account-based marketing is, is the future. And so, you know, what happens with most businesses today is like, what do you do? You send a few emails, you have a huge CSM team who's, you know, manually trying to upsell people. Pretty much every company I see today does it the same. Um, and without going into too much detail, you know, we have, I, you know, I think we are working on and are already showing success of land and expand with, you know, at scale. Let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing built on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. We love Salesforce. They've been with us since the very first episode of Marketing Trends oh so long ago. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Matt, are you ready? I hope so. Number one, you went to UCF for college. What's your favorite thing in Orlando? Taco Bell. (laughs) From your Google Hire Me campaign, what was the neatest person or or thing that that reached out to you or or noticed the campaign? I guess you mentioned the the one guy that that noticed you in in line, but uh, anything else? Uh, I mean, just getting calls from every single, you know, big name tech company you can imagine. Favorite book or podcast that you've checked out in the last year? I feel like I feel like I'm on Salesforce's payroll, but behind the cloud is is a really good lesson um, for marketers. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? <laughs> I have no real skills in life, so that I don't know. That's probably I think I'm in marketing because I can't, you know, I can't build anything with my hands. I definitely could never do finance. Could never be a doctor, uh, but I, I'm really good at selling stuff. I'd be a sales rep. There you go. I'd be a sales rep. What is your New Year's resolution? To get the COVID vaccine. (laughs) That's a good one. Best advice for a first-time CMO? You need to be fearless and can't second-guess yourself. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? This question. (laughs) Touche. Matt, thanks so much for joining the show. It's been awesome to chat. Um, you know, we'll have to have you back someday to talk, uh, to to check in and see where uh, see where Rippling is at. Um, everybody, you can uh, you can check them out. Super easy, Rippling.com. Um, if you're looking for uh, a better HR and benefits uh, and IT solution all in one, and uh, and and Matt, thanks again. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I uh, just hope everyone listening took something away from this. Hope it was was worth an hour of your time. Awesome. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey, Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.